And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining us on the Skype line today is Dr. Peter Hammond, founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. And also in the uh, office with me today is my wife, Deb. So both of you, welcome. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. Peter, you... uh, I'm on your mailing list. You put out a wonderful piece titled Peace on Earth, The Christmas Truce in the Trenches. Can you recite for us some of the information that you penned to your listeners? Oh, with joy. Uh, You know, my father was a soldier all six years of the Second World War, and uh, I remember him talking about a Christmas truce uh, in North Africa in 1941 and 19. uh, 42, uh, between the 8th Army, here's, here's a um, part of the Royal Artillery, a bombardier in the 8th Army, mm-hmm. and um, he spoke about this extraordinary experience of singing Christmas carols in unison and chorus with the Africa Corps on the other side, and then um, the next day coming out and swapping ration packs and showing pictures of their family and playing football, and um, I thought, that's extraordinary. <laughs> well, um, I heard stories about this also. When I was a lot younger, I met people who had fought in the First World War and spoke about the Christmas truce, which sounded strange because I'd never read it in any of our history books. Mm-hmm. No. I'd never seen it depicted in any film. So how real could it be? If, if it, And yet I spoke to people who were there. And yeah. uh, interestingly, in 2014, on the 100th anniversary of the, uh, of the First World War being declared, um, I was invited to Britain for a series of, of lectures. And one of the things I determined to do was to go to the Imperial War Museum, uh, where they had a brand new exhibit on the First World War. Of course, the 100th anniversary of the First World War, there was a lot of uh, major uh, emphases on, including the seas of red and uh, all these ceramic poppies surrounding the moat of the Tower mm-hmm. of London. I saw that starting. Yes. And, and, well, imagine my surprise when walking into the Imperial War Museum, I saw displays on the Christmas truce of 1914, because for <laughs> generations... The historians and the governments denied it even happened, and people said it's a legend. And oh, well. you can still find some place where they denied it even happened. Well, I saw pictures, lots of pictures, of actual photographs of German and British troops intermingled, and French and German troops, and uh, the stories about the Christmas truce and people's pictures. And what's basically happened is that uh, it was clamped down on so much, and nobody knew about it, but in recent generations, grandchildren have been coming across their grandfather's and grandmother's correspondence box in the attic and seeing pictures and stories and some people having journalistic inclinations have, have done research and published. And so absolutely extraordinary. I've, I've been fascinated too because I had quite a lot of relatives involved in the First World War and who died in the First World War too, mm. and uh, especially around Ypres. And so uh, as we've dug into this, we found, wow, there's a massive story. So on Christmas Eve 1914, there was a spontaneous ceasefire observed across the whole of the Western Front. And this Christmas truce of the First World War was considered absolutely unprecedented in the history of warfare. Initially, it got a lot of widespread media coverage. The New York Times broke the story the 31st of December 1914, followed by British newspapers in January, the Mirror, the Illustrated London News, the Times, they all printed front page pictures of German and British troops mingling and singing Christmas carols. (laughs) And looking at these pictures, it gets kind of confusing to work it out because some of the Germans are wearing British caps and some of the British are wearing German caps. Oh, my. So it, it gets even more confusing to un- try and unravel it because you can see, but that hat doesn't match the uniform and so on. Right. Well, the French government was the first to severely censor any reports of what they called fraternization with the enemy. 
And then political pressure was brought to bear to censor all reports on the event from the mainstream media and from history books. And suddenly it became you were not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> For years, these extraordinary events were only known by word of mouth from the participants. But there were lots of them. So the damage caused by the Christmas truce to the propaganda campaigns to demonize the enemy was regarded as a serious threat to the war effort. And it's actually taken decades to analyze the details of the fascinating events about this Christmas 1914. So the background is this. In the first five months of the Great War, because nobody called it the First World War at the time because they didn't know there'd be a second. They thought this was the war to end all wars and the Great War. But a million Europeans had already been killed just in the first five months. Killed in action, 80% by artillery fire. Now, initially, the campaigns were very fast moving, but they degenerated into static trench warfare with a continuous front line of barbed wire, trenches running from the North Sea, bordering the Netherlands all the way down to the Swiss frontier. Now, a famous Englishwoman, Emily Hophouse, steps into this. She was the one who exposed to the world the horrors of Lord Kitchener's scorched earth campaign against the Boer republics of the Transvaal and Free State during the Anglo-Boer War and the British concentration camps for the Boer women and children. And so Emily Hophouse, this Englishwoman, was the most prominent campaigner against the British involvement in the First World War. She wrote books like The Brunt of the One on Whom It Falls and Love Your Enemies and books like that. Well, Emily Hobhouse authored an open Christmas letter calling for peace. She got 101 prominent British women, including Emily Pankhurst, signing Emily Hobhouse's open Christmas letter. And it was endorsed by 155 prominent German and Austrian women leaders as well in response. So the title is, actually got a copy of the letter, On Earth peace, goodwill towards men. Emily Hobhouse wrote, sisters, the Christmas message sounds like mockery to a world at war, but those of us who wished and still wish for peace may surely offer a solemn greeting to such as you who feel as we do. And she mentioned that as in South Africa during the Anglo-Boer War, the brunt of modern war falls upon non-combatants and the conscience of the world cannot bear the sight. Yes. So she wrote, is it not our mission to preserve life? Do not humanity and common sense alike prompt us to join hands with the woman and urge our rulers to stave off further bloodshed. May Christmas hasten that day. And the German mothers responded with a letter of their own saying to our English sisters, sisters of the same race, warm and heartfelt thanks for Christmas greetings, women of the belligerent countries. With all faithfulness, devotion and love to their country can still go beyond it and maintain true solidarity with the women of other belligerent nations that really civilized women never lose their humanity. Mm. And so there was this lovely exchange, and Emily Hoppas didn't just give words. She was overseeing the raising of a lot of funds and the shipping of massive quantities of food and medicines through neutral countries like Switzerland and Sweden to the women and children of Germany and Austria who were suffering as a result of the English naval blockade, which uh-huh. was not just blockading munitions and warfare weapons, but, but even food. So they they were calling it the hunger blockade to starve the enemy in submission. So numerous ministers picked up Emily Hobhouse's refrain and proclaimed from the pulpit, may the guns fall silent, at least on the night when the angels sang. Mm. Now, the governments weren't thrilled with this. And so officially it was rebuffed and it was suppressed in the heavily censored media. But somehow the soldiers in the front lines got to hear of these sentiments and many seemed to share it. (laughs) So much so. Then in the first week of December, there were informal truces already being observed by soldiers on the front line. So the famous Charles de Gaulle, in a letter written on the 7th of December, 1914, 7th of December, he expressed his dismay at the fraternization of enemy where French and German troops exchanged newspapers, recovered their dead, organized burial parties in no man's land. 
and a French general, de Herbel, expressed alarm over soldiers staying too long in the same sector, that they were becoming friendly with the enemies to the extent they were conducting conversations between the lines and even visiting one another's trenches. Mm-hmm. I mean, some front lines were 40, no more than 50 meters apart. And wow. So they're literally carrying on conversations. And then after heavy rains near Ypres, where the Germans held the high ground and the British held the lower ground, the English troops' trenches were flooded and they literally had to come out of their trenches or they would drown. And as the English troops came out of their flooded trenches in full view of the Germans, they just expressed their sympathy and they did not open fire on their soaked and vulnerable enemies. So there was already some Christmas spirit out there. Well, the 2nd Essex Regiment recorded in their war diary of 11 December, their officers and men met the German Saxon Corps halfway between the trenches, exchanged food, cigarettes, chocolates and conversations. (laughs) And the conclusion was the Germans make the best chocolates and the British make the best cigarettes. So... (laughs) <laughs> uh, that was the result of that reconnaissance. So, now we come to Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, near Ypres, German soldiers began decorating their trenches with Christmas trees and candles. The Kaiser had sent hundreds and hundreds of, uh, no, I think it was thousands of rail carts with hundreds of thousands of these blasted Christmas trees so that every two meters along the front line there was a Christmas tree. I mean, it's an oh absolute... Uh, talk about logistical nightmare, but and all over the place, the British were organizing pies for their soldiers in the front line, and um, the British King George V was sending a Christmas card to every soldier in the front line to be delivered. And, and so I think everyone felt bad. They'd all said the war would be over by Christmas, and so there was this falling over themselves to try and celebrate Christmas. Well, this interesting development was, as the Germans enthusiastically sang Christmas carols, the British soldiers joined singing Silent Night. They recognized the tune. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then after singing Silent Night, the British followed with Oh Come All You Faithful. And the two sides began shouting Christmas greetings to one another, like Fro and I working. And shortly after that, soldiers spontaneously came out of their trenches, walked across no man's land, greeted one another and exchanged gifts and souvenirs. Hmm. Well, this truce spread so fast across the Western Front, there were at least 100,000 German and British troops involved in this unofficial ceasefire. Wow. There were Belgians, Canadians, French troops joined in the Christmas celebrations. And they said it was a perfect, perfect uh, day because there was no snow, but everything was frozen. So there was no more mud. Everything had frozen over so you could actually walk on what had been sloshy mud. All those horrible smells were frozen over and they couldn't smell the lime or any of the other deteriorating things. And Mm -hmm. it was just a crisp, lovely day. And absolutely bracing air and the people walked across the frozen strip of no man's land, shook hands, held joint worship services, conducted respectful burial services for the dead that had died between lines. Soldiers swapped ration packs. The French had wine, the British had pies, the Germans had chocolates. They swapped buttons, badges, hats. Uh, It was absolutely extraordinary. And the next day, they played football matches. (laughs) Wow. This is remarkable. Both cultures shared a rich Christian heritage, didn't they? That's so true. I mean, the fact that they immediately recognize the Christmas carols, well, we know it in German, they know it in English, and you know, the French have their version, and, and that they could actually join in in three languages singing the same hymn. It, uh, wow. You know, that, it just shows you, it makes you wonder why they were fighting one another in the first place. Yeah, you know, that that's what's got me thinking here, how that so often I think it is the case that the higher-ups, the power brokers in a society, 
uh, the uh, military-industrial complex, if you will, drive us into war. But the guys on the ground and gals now uh, really many times don't want to fight because it's it's for the wrong reason. But, yeah, I mean, these poor people go out there and fight, and many times they don't want to. And I'm thinking if we can talk about it really quick, Ukraine. A lot of these guys are, are from the same culture, even. And to be fighting each other is just, that's complete insanity. It is. And I've got a lot of Russian and Ukrainian friends, and I've spoken in Russian and Ukrainian churches, including Russian-Ukrainian Baptist churches that had no problem swapping between Russian hymns and Ukrainian hymns yes. and reading the scriptures in Russian or Ukraine or giving testimonies in Russian or Ukraine. And their languages are fairly similar. I mean, it's like Spanish and Portuguese. It's, 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 there's a lot of overlap. Yes. And, uh, and a few years ago, there was no problem having a congregation of Russians and Ukrainians in the same congregation. There you go. And now it's like they're the opposites, but they're not really the opposites. They're cousins. Yes, well put. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond. Peter, I recall that you shared with us a couple of times how that you were captured more than once and mistreated very much by the communists. And uh, the heart of man is so deceitful and wicked. I don't know how to even describe it, but you've been through a lot, haven't you? Well, yes, this year we've marked 40 years Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, and that's the title of the book I produced this year to mark this anniversary, 440 pages of 40 years behind enemy lines. And um, I've had the joy and privilege of ministering the gospel in 38 countries. And uh, mm. that's involvements in eight different wars, especially specializing in helping persecuted Christians behind enemy lines in Muslim and communist countries. And so from Mozambique and Angola through Rwanda to Sudan and the Congo and Nigeria, I've, I've uh, had some phenomenal experiences. And uh, including when imprisoned in Zambia and Mozambique and detained in Zimbabwe and um, arrested in Sudan. And so uh, a lot of those stories are in, in the book, Frontline Behind Me Lines for Christ. But it's given me a real uh, feel for the soldiers. And uh, considering my father and brother and so many uncles and grandparents were all involved in these different wars, uh, you can imagine I, I've been fascinated to know what on earth led to this and to me, the Christmas tree is one of the most inspiring stories because we live in an age where we can do with some peace and goodwill. Yes. Amen. Earth. And I mean, it's my prayer for the Russians and Ukrainians right now in the grip of, of a horrible war. And in my opinion, a very avoidable war and a war that, that must be brought to an end swiftly. And maybe Christmas can be a time for some sanity to break in because I know there's a lot of Christians on both sides. There are many Christian Russians and many Christian Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, they don't just celebrate Christmas on uh, the 24th and 25th of right. December like we do. They have the 12th days of Christmas right. going through to the 6th of, of January. And this is another intriguing thing. I, I don't know how many people are aware. Some people might have heard of the Christmas truce in the Western Front. How many are aware that there was an even bigger Christmas truce on the Eastern Front? Mm. This surprised me when it came out, because while on a Western front, the officers commanding ordered no fraternization of the enemy, and they were outraged that their, their troops spontaneously marked a ceasefire with the enemies. But on the Eastern front, it was ordered from the top. The Russian, Austrian, and German commanders ordered, do not fire unless fired upon, no hostile actions unless in defense. Mm. And so... And, and the, the order was, it was good from 24 December through to the 6th of January, inclusive. And wow. this was observed strictly the whole of the Eastern Front, with the exception of the Serbian Front. The Serbs apparently didn't want this. 
They mm-hmm. kept fighting, so the Austrians were forced to fight during those two weeks. But the rest of the Eastern Front, which was colossal, we talk about thousands of miles of Russian, Austrian, and, and German uh, frontiers. And uh, they not only observed the ceasefire for two weeks, but they actually came out, they danced, they celebrated, they swapped uh, <laughs> presents and <laughs> ration packs. And so, uh, you know, you wouldn't have known about this in the Eastern Front, but, but now reports have come out, and a lot of this was just um, actually hidden in archives, which have now been released. These things were considered detrimental to morale. And so they were sealed as, mm. you know, like 60 years not to be made public. Now, when governments seal things, you know, they're hiding something. That's else. exactly right. So isn't it just incredible to think that on the Eastern Front, the commanders initiated this, mm-hmm. saying, don't fire unless fight upon, let's observe the Christmas truce. And on the Western Front, they said, Bear in mind that the Russians observed two weeks of Christmas, so uh, this holds good through to 6th January. How's that for <laughs> thoughtfulness? And it, it's, I'd like to see this depicted in some film because Hollywood mm. has never acknowledged this. Yes. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. So true. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, and he's familiar with this world and warfare and enemies and times of peace, times of war. This is interesting that the commanders on the Eastern Front actually observed and were supportive of ceasefires for the duration of Christmas and that lasting until the Eastern calendar of uh, 6 January. Was there a tendency to try to quash the Christian spirit? Oh, my. Sadly so. Um, in South Africa, we all know the name uh, Horace Smith Dorian because Horace Smith Dorian is one of the very few British survivors of the Battle of East Luana. During the Anglo-Zulu War, 1879, the Zulus wiped out an entire British regiment, the 24th foot, uh, at the Battle of East Luana. And Smith Dorian was a survivor. Well, he was, by the time of the Second World War, he was the general in charge of Second Corps. So he was basically running most of the British Army on the Western Front. And uh, General Sir Horace Smith Dorian, he uh, ordered, express orders, forbidding fraternization of the enemy, and he was concerned that this might happen over Christmas because there had been some of these incidents leading up to Christmas. Well, when the uh, entire Western Front uh, was mingling in no man's land, he gave the order for the artillery to open fire oh, on their own troops. That's horrible. Intermingling oh with the enemy in no man's land. And to the credit of the artillery, the artillery refused to fire. <laughs> yep. And uh, so, so Smith... Dorian was horrified and he complained that his orders were disregarded with, by his soldiers. And there were so many officers complaining. Some officers ordered some of their men to open fire with rifles and machine guns on the intermingling troops. And, of course, nobody wants to find their own troops. No way. And, these, and none of these people even had their weapons. They'd left their rifles in the trenches. They walked out. And pe- most people were holding as maybe a pie or some chocolates or ration pack or bottle of wine. So the yeah. people were there with gifts in hand. And it was obvious there was no hostile actions. No. And – I'm glad to say that the basic humanity or Christianity of these people prevailed, and they said, no, so <laughs> we cannot open fire. <laughs> well, it, it got quite um, ugly and horrific. Do you know that uh, the French court-martialed a whole lot of people, and um, uh, the British court-martialed some people too, and I don't know if, if um, any of the listeners have seen the film Joy X Noel, which is a French film produced on the... Uh, the Christmas truce, Joyx Noel, I'm sure I've mispronounced it from the French perspective, <laughs> considering that um, what's spelt Champs de Ilias is pronounced Champs-Élysées, so I've probably got Joyx Noel wrong. But nevertheless, the French 
general ordered for one of their cats to be arrested and shot for treason because there was a French cat who was going between the lines, between the German and, and the French lines. A, a cat? A line? Is that what well, you're cats referring do to? that. Yeah. And, and so he literally ordered the, the French troops to arrest this famous cat who, who was fraternizing with the enemy. And again, oh. to the credit of the French troops, nobody could find this cat. So um, he, he made himself scarce at the right time. So there was some unbelievable hysteria. So some strange things happened after the Christmas Day truce when they were yeah. playing football and all the rest. Well, when the artillery were ordered to open fire on the enemy, they would send a message through saying, excuse me, we've got a fire in this sector at this time. Would you like to come over and shelter in our trenches? And uh, then there would be a counterattack and Germans would say to the French, would you like to come over to our trenches? That's You're amazing. That's great. Retaliation. And they were literally going between one another. And when they were ordered to fire, they would fire high or ineffectually. And sometimes the, the artillery would fire at a specific spot and uh, deliberately to make sure it was not harming anyone. And so this got so bad from the perspective of the higher ups yes. that they had to pull entire units back. Hmm. And the British took whole units who had taken part in the Christmas truce and shipped them off to Iraq for the war against the Ottoman Turks. Uh. And uh, the Germans had to take whole units and ship them off the Eastern Front because they no longer were enthusiastic to fight their British friends on the other side who they just celebrated Christmas mm. Day with. And so there was massive disruption. And the, the high ups were absolutely horrified. And, you know, there was every possibility. If the people had just walked away after that, the whole thing would have fallen apart. And yeah. it took a lot of effort to just keep the war going because the, the men in the front, they had gotten to the stage. And I remember my father explained this. My dad said they reached the stage in North Africa where they felt alienated from not only their families and the politicians back home, but from their leaders and the, and the people right. who put them there because they said they don't know what we're going through. Yes. But our enemy does. And my dad mm. says we knew that the Africa Corps were fighting the same enemy as us, the heat, yes. the dust storms, the lice, the flies, the thirst, the lack of water. And uh, he said the that we had such sympathy that, for example, if the British or Rhodesian Air Force shot down a German plane, they would drop supplies, they would immediately radio through and give information where the British or Canadian or Rhodesian planes mm -hmm. being shot down or the other way around. And and they would often race help to them or, or help the others to find a place. Sometimes they would actually go back and pinpoint and help them find, because they knew you can't survive more than a few hours out in the desert. It, yes, it, it's, so, yes. it's so intense. And so there was a sympathy for the enemy because they felt like the real enemies, the terrain and the climate. Isn't that and, amazing? Yeah. And, and so, I mean, my dad said that he, they never had to make a fire to cook something. He said, we want to cook eggs or something. We cleaned off a place on either the armored car or the 25-pounder, uh, and you cracked the egg over it. And it sizzled in wow. the sun, and <laughs> it, was, it was boiled. You did not have to worry about making a fire. It was that hot. You put wow. something on metal and... So, I mean, you can imagine conditions like that. And now in the trenches, in the First World War, it was, it was so muddy, so wet, so oh, yes. cold. And the people there, they knew nobody back home understands. But the guys on the other side, in the trenches across the no man's land, they understand. There was more sympathy for their enemy than there was for their own leaders back home. And those beautiful <laughs> examples of peace, Peter, really show the power of the gospel, don't they? They do. I mean, what else other than the Prince of Peace could Amen. ever bring an end to such a horrible war? What a testament to the power of the gospel that 
at a time of terrible war, and, and you know, the propaganda was relentless, the hatreds of being entrenched were so intense, but what a testament of the power of the gospel that during one of the most terrible times of war, hundreds of thousands of soldiers of so many armies and opposite sides stopped fighting, came out of their trenches, put their rifles down, embraced the enemies. What an honor to the Prince of Peace. I mean, when I think of Christmas, I just think that must have been one of the greatest Christmases ever. Amen. Now, Peter, maybe um, one more comment regarding Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Oh, my favorite scripture for Christmas time, <laughs> Isaiah 9, 6, 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And I'm sure mm. you've heard this pounded out in Handel's Messiah. And I've heard my wife and my daughter singing Handel's Messiah many times, and especially over the Christmas season. And I, I would recommend anyone to either go to a concert or put on the music or find it on YouTube. But but play Handel's Messiah. What a great two and a half hours. Uh, Amen. I, I think watching a film like Ben-Hur and um, uh, listening to Handel's Messiah is a great way to celebrate Christmas. And, of course, um, if enemies can actually celebrate Christmas together, maybe we can sit down for Christmas dinner with those family members yes. and <laughs> reach out to some of those neighbors. Yes. I hope it's inspired. I hope it inspires Russian and Ukrainians Amen. to lay down their weapons and celebrate the Prince That's of Peace right. mm, over this Christmas season. The website is frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. This is Dr. Peter Hammond talking with us today, and, and my wife, Deb, joined me also here in the office. Peter, thank you for joining us, and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, and to you, too. And by the way, if people want to see pictures of this, I've actually got video of this presentation on our Frontline website, and uh, people can communicate with me or look on our social media. I think it's just so wonderful. And if you get a chance to see the film, even Joy X Noel, outstanding. Sainsbury's also brought out a wonderful Christmas <laughs> ad and a Christmas truce 2014 on the centenary of it. So there's some lovely depictions of the Christmas truce, but what an inspiration. That's beautiful. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf, Peter, and my wife say Merry Christmas to you and thank you for joining us. Amen. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> <laughs> 